Welcome to The Human Condition with Lisa Gregory. They are the first-hand stories of America and our history, the stories of veterans and their sacrifice. And through the Veterans History Project, which is part of the American Folklife Center of the Library of Congress, they are being gathered and saved. During the last 20 years, the Veterans History Project, under the direction of Army Colonel Karen Lloyd, has received over 110,000 submissions from veterans and their families covering World War I through the Iraq War. The People's Collection, as it is called, is giving a face and a voice to those who stood up and did their part in the name of democracy. If you could tell our listeners, what is the Veterans History Project? The Veterans History Project is volunteer-based. It's your listeners reaching out to the veterans in their lives and their communities and listening, really listening to their stories, and then sending those stories to the Library of Congress, to the Veterans History Project, uh, so we can put them in our repository. Um, We are interested in paper-based products like letters, like photographs, like memoirs, like diaries, but we're also interested in oral histories. We have a website, loc.gov forward slash vets with an S, um, which is really broken into two components. One is a a, uh, collection, uh, curated collection, so you can see what's currently in our collection and give you ideas and what the possibilities are. And then the second part of uh, the website is all about how you can do it. There's a there's a video that talks about how to do it. All the forms were government agency. There are forms. There's forms that you, and how to fill them out. There are uh, sample questions um, and all of those kinds of things. We also have an email address. You can reach out to us and we'll guide you through the process vohp at loc.gov. So lots of different ways for for volunteers across the nation to reach out to veterans. Well, you know, I, in doing research for this, I, I saw that you have over 110,000 submissions at this point. Do people, not only veterans, but those close to them, because it's also open to people that were related to veterans who have since passed, correct? I guess I need to back up a little bit. Gold Star families, I think it's it's referred to? That is exactly right. We started, this is our 20th anniversary in the year 2000, Representative Ron Kind from Wisconsin uh, was at a home barbecue and his dad and uncle started talking about their World War II exploits. And he had kids, he had children in diapers and he said, can you wait a minute? I want to get the, uh, the video camera so that when they'll be able to understand, they can hear from you directly. And he went back to Congress and said, well, I can't be the only one. Right. Right. Our, our legislation passed uh, with unanimous uh, consent. And when does that happen? And then in 2016, <laughs> Congress added the Gold Star families. So now spouses, parents, siblings, and the children can reach out and come to us and tell their stories. And we ask that they would reach out to us via email so that we can help guide them. We have a series of questions directly for the parents, for the siblings, for the children, for the spouse, because each of those perspectives perspectives is different. And it's mm. really important that that the people, the these gold star families feel supported. And so we don't just support support those gold star families, but also really any of your any any volunteer that that wants to 
to work with us. We, we encourage that. We currently have 119 Gold Star Family Collections, and we're very proud of that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, when you mentioned, because I had read Congressman Kine's uh, story, how this began, and I couldn't help but think how many of us, and especially, you know, with the holidays coming up, how many of us haven't been at a family gathering and uncles and <clears throat> and even aunts now and, and grandparents are talking about these experiences. It just seemed to really resonate with me um, that this is sort of a universal experience. Um, are people, have they embraced it as a, as a result of that kind of thinking? How, how has it been received? Well, we know that we have 18 million veterans and we have 110,000 collections and we know we're not the only repository. And and while we encourage folks to send them to us uh, because we'll take great care of them, we have a world-class conservation preservation lab, you know, quite honestly, we're not the only repository. I think veterans are hidden in plain sight hmm. and people don't realize that they're surrounded by veterans because veterans don't talk about their stories. We're starting to realize the Vietnam veterans are starting to look around and see that their battle buddies from their right and left are starting to pass away. Hmm. And they don't want their story to be lost. And we're starting to get more of those stories as well. We collect from World War I through the current conflict. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so very important that we understand from the veterans' firsthand perspective, firsthand narrative, what they saw, what they felt, what they heard, because they were at the cusp of history. And that's what we need to remember. And our collection is the people's collection. That's what I call it, Hmm. because the bulk of it is from private through captain. And I would suggest to you that's where the real stories occurred. And so this is an opportunity for those stories not to be lost. It's also all-encompassing from what I, I was reading, that um, you didn't have to necessarily be in battle, um, that all experiences, if you were serving, are important. Could you talk a little bit about that? It's not just for people that when you typically think of a veteran, I think sometimes you think, well, battle-worn and battle-weary, and but it takes lots of different people to get an effort done, doesn't it? That was so well said. Exactly. We just don't want those folks that were at the tip of the spear because, quite frankly, there's an awful lot of folks that are behind them that are causing them to be successful. So we really want all of the stories because that's really where the fun part is. For example, (laughs) we have a story, Alice Dixon. Uh, She was World War II. um, African-American was with the postal company, the 6888. And they were in Lyon, France, and her job was packages. And in her oral history, she talks about how one day she got a package and it was a bottle of whiskey. And she got really nervous because, one, they wasn't supposed to be there. (laughs) So she went to her captain and said, wow, what do I do? And the captain said, oh, just leave it with me. I'll take care of it. And she was (laughs) relieved. She was relieved. And that evening she went back to the barracks and she told her buddies, Oh, man, I had a hard day. I got this bottle of whiskey in the mail. What am I going to do? And she said, but I took it to the captain and she said she'd take care of it. And they all laughed at her and said, oh, you fool. If you brought it here, we would have taken care of it, too. I mean, it's it's those type of things that aren't in the history books that that are in our collections that are so very, very special. I mean, one of my favorites is Sergeant Maria Vasquez. 
five foot two pistol, a Marine. She was an 18 wheeler. She was one of the first Marine 18 wheeler drivers. And she was the first woman uh, 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 truck instructor. And she talks about, she goes, I didn't realize I was breaking barriers when it was happening. Hmm. She said, I just did my job and knew what I needed to do. And as an instructor, she said, yeah, those Marines would show up and they'd look at me and they'd go, oh, yeah. Oh, right. You're going to teach me how to drive a truck. (laughs) And she said she immediately realized the way that she was going to gain credibility and respect was to get in the truck and show them. And that's exactly what she did. And she said, you know, it shouldn't have been that way. It shouldn't have had to have been that way. But that's what it took for me to gain their respect. Hmm. And and then she talks about when she was in Operation Desert, Desert Shield, Desert Storm. And one of the jobs they were given was to move a combat unit into Kuwait, into combat. And she said, that was not in our job description. But she, they, she said, but we had to do it. And she said, it really made me realize, you know, the ugliness of humanity and the importance of kindness. Hmm. And she said it really gave her a new view and perspective on life. And I would suggest you, given what's going on today, those are powerful words coming from, you know, a Marine sergeant. Well, and it's humanizing our history, isn't it? It truly is humanizing. It's giving it a face, uh, not just a voice, but a face. Well, that's exactly right. And and these, again, stories that would not otherwise make mm-hmm. the history books. What I love when you think about documentaries and TV shows and books that use war as a backdrop, it isn't the war that people are focused in on. It's the people. And it's collections like ours that enable those authors and filmmakers to really show what it was like. Um, We've had great success with Ken Burns and and his documentaries, Mm -hmm. both in 2008 for World War II and the war, and then again in 2017 for the Vietnam War. He and his his, uh, folks came over, poured through our collections, picked a lot of them. But what's special about the Veterans History Project is the veteran keeps their copyright. So that if an author or a filmmaker wants to use their story, they have to get permission so they'll understand how it's being used and are comfortable with it. And I would tell you that is one of the wrinkles that's different about our project Mm -hmm. that is so important because these veterans have given so much that's the least we can do to let them keep the copyright to their stories. Absolutely. You know, I I was wondering too, and this is maybe going off in a odd direction, but I'm wondering if by sharing these stories from the the veterans that are doing this, is it in a sense therapeutic um, to sort of talk about these experiences, kind of, you know, put them out there, do you think? I can say from a personal perspective that I I found doing my interview very cathartic. Um, And I can report that lots of veterans, those that I've interviewed, that my team has interviewed, and those that um, have have chosen to to, uh, have their stories um, at the Library of Congress, all seem to mention the fact that they were reluctant to do it and Mm. then felt cathartic afterward. In fact, we've been doing a whole series of events They're on our YouTube page and our Facebook page uh, since the um, 6th of November. And and that is a theme that that, that is incredibly common that comes up. We've been Mm. working with Operation Song, 
that has Nashville songwriters that reach out to veterans and listen to their story and then create songs, wow. which makes it pretty special. Wow. And and so please go up their website, but please also um, think about going um, and, and having your listeners go up um, our YouTube channel or our Facebook page to listen to some of this. It's running through the 14th of November. So there's, we've, there's some that are already um, in the can and there's somebody that some that are uh, getting ready to happen. So it's just one of the ways we try to illuminate these these amazing stories uh, that, again, would otherwise be lost. Well, you know, you referenced that, that you told your story as well. And you have an interesting bit of history. From what I was reading, you were the first woman uh, U.S. Army medevac pilot. Do I have that correct? That's actually correct. And and again, just like Maria Vasquez, I would I didn't realize I was doing anything special. Hmm. I I my dad was uh was in service and and when I went to college, my dad said, If you want me to pay for it, you'll go in state. If you want pocket money, get a job and don't think you're coming home. And ROTC provided me at the time it was a lot of money, a hundred dollars a month. And so that, in addition to my job, is was my pocket money going through school. And um, the Army at the time was, uh, you, could, you could apply for the flight program. ROTC had a flight program, and you would get your private pilot's license. And so I applied and was accepted, one of five women nationwide. Wow. So I went to my basic course, uh, came in with a private pilot's license, graduated number two, and they said, you know, you're not stupid, and and you've got a private pilot's license. Are you interested in flying? And I said, I'd love to. And they said, well, you have to go to a ground assignment first. So they said, we're going to send you the camp. We're going to send you the Camp Casey Korea because it's only one year, and then you'll get to flight school sooner. And I was incredibly fortunate. I mean, mm. they were introducing women into the second infantry to the uh, second infantry division. And I went down to the airfield like an idiot second lieutenant and said, I have orders to flight school. Will anybody give me bootleg flight time? And so I was able to fly getting bootleg flight time while I was in Korea in the demilitarized zone. Hmm. I mean, Korea was a little bit like the Wild West, but it's <laughs> it's experiences like that that um, I'm sure you couldn't do today. Um, and I just feel incredibly fortunate that I was entering the service at this unique time when they were broadening the jobs that women were able to do beyond admin and nursing. And I, I just feel incredibly blessed. Well, you know, and I, I think that's your story is important to remember because especially for, for we women, it's building blocks. It's laying the foundation and lifting others up with it. And you did that. And by reminding, this is where we came from. This is why we need to to hang on to this. This is why this is important um, by hearing those stories. And again, I keep coming back to it, but giving a face to it, not just a voice, but you know, humanizing it. Why were you interested in becoming involved with this project? How long have you been doing this? And why did you want to do it? I am the daughter, I'm the sibling, and the widow of veterans. And I understand how important it is to tell stories, to tell your story so that they're not lost. And 
Um, I've been doing this for four years. Dr. Hayden selected me in October 2016, and I feel like I'm living the dream. I feel like I'm finally giving back uh, and being able to reach out a- across the country and and illuminating the the amazing things that veterans are doing. I've had an opportunity to go to uh, the Western Folklife Center uh, National Cowboy Poetry Gathering, and 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 we've gotten stories from cowboy poets. We've gotten stories from cow uh, from truck drivers, veteran truck drivers. We've gotten stories from veteran farmers. Veterans are hidden in plain sight, and it's something we forget. And and it's so important that we get these stories so that they will not be lost. And again, I I really reiterate that. It's the people's collection and it's and it's we're only successful because of volunteers like your listeners are willing to go out and talk to the veterans in their lives and in their communities. My staff is incredibly small and we have to use the multiplier effect of volunteers. That's the reason that we've been successful. But what a wonderful thing to volunteer for. You're listening to somebody that experienced history. I can't think of a better way to spend your volunteer time. I couldn't agree with you more. (laughs) And I would like to suggest the act of listening to these stories changes you for the better and really helps you. We get high school kids that uh, high school students that come in and one of their assignments. Thank you. All of those, all the teachers in America um, who choose to have the Veterans History Project as one of their school projects. Um, Jonathan Bickle up in Elko, uh, Pennsylvania, the Elko School District in Pennsylvania, um, for the last, I think, 10 years has brought his students down. And I have had the pleasure of working with them. This year we did it virtually. But what I love best is when when I ask them, what did you get from this? Hmm. What did you learn from talking with either a veteran in your community or, or a relative? And I am absolutely taken back by their answers. And, and it is always, they've learned something and, and it's always about how much broader the world is and how much broader their worldview is than it was before they started the project. Hmm. And I am just heartened every year when we get um, these these stories. I'm heartened by the Boy Scouts that make it their Gold Star Project. Their e- I'm sorry, their Eagle Scout Project. Um, the Girl Scouts that use it as their Gold Star Project because there they are reflecting on this amazing service of veterans and and it really e- emphasizes you know what their life to that point has been about as well because boy scouts and girl scouts are about giving back exactly you know i was curious because you cover from veterans from world war 1 until the iraq war is there a segment of these veterans that you are receiving more stories from i'm wondering if the more time that goes by they're more comfortable talking about their experiences or are you not seeing that across the board it didn't it doesn't really matter my sense is that veterans don't tell their story unless somebody asks them mm. and asks them in a meaningful way where they understand they really care and they want to listen and they want to hear. Why do you and think that is? I'm, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm curious. Why do you think veterans, that is? Yeah, veterans, I was, the, I was a part of a team. I, 
I, I didn't think I had a story. Oh. And it wasn't until Owen Rogers, who, who interviewed me, he's one of my, one of my colleagues, he, he, he got me to talk about things I had not thought about in 40 years. Hmm. It was really amazing. One of the questions that I love to ask uh, veterans that I'm interviewing is, how did you get from home to your first duty station? Hmm. And you watch their eyes and they start, you can see it's like their brain is a Rolodex and they're going (laughs) back in time. Hmm. And sometimes it was the first bus ride. It was the first train ride. It was the first airplane ride. Um, it, it is, uh, it is really fun because all of a sudden it all starts coming back. And then you start asking, well, who was your drill sergeant? They, they generally know their names and they know who the good one was, the the good (laughs) and who the the one they hated was. And they, they'll remember what they ate, you know, little stories from the mess hall. And what I find really fascinating is the Minnesota PBS station, I think it was out of Minneapolis, St. Paul, did a documentary and they looked at veterans from World War II, from the Korean War, from Vietnam War, and from the current conflict. And what they did was they focused on key few times in their career. One of them was when they first got in. One of them was when they were going through basic. One was when they got to their first unit. One was when they were, you know, service. And then one one was when they got out. And it was absolutely striking to me that with that spread of time between those different, those conflicts, when they talked about basic, they all kind of talked about the same things. When mm. they talked about coming in or why they chose to come in, they all kind of talked about the same general things. It was absolutely riveting to me that that the PBS station and the, had the, the presence of mind to, to, to ask that question about over time, what are these veterans' experiences like, and are they similar or dissimilar? And and it was just, I guess it was maybe a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to preview that at the library. They had a special, uh, a special showing of it. Uh, but it, it really took my breath away. But it mm. really goes back to the importance of getting these stories so they're not lost. And, you know, the benefit to we as Americans— I would think, um, is, is quite significant. We need to hear these stories and be reminded of, of the sacrifices, um, don't we? I couldn't agree with you more. I think less and less of the population is having that direct connection to mm-hmm. veterans. Mm-hmm. And, and because that direct collect- connection is being lost, there's a lack of appreciation for mm-hmm. what being in service involves and the fact that is it, it is in fact selfless service and it's done willingly mm-hmm. and and i and i think um i think it's really important uh that that folks think about the veterans in their lives you mentioned something earlier that i absolutely adore which is think during Veterans Day, who those veterans in their lives and communities are. And then as you reach towards Thanksgiving, make a special point about, you know, connecting with them and and asking them, what was your service like in a way that they'll know that you're really listening and make that Thanksgiving for them 
really, really special because I think what your viewers will discover is they will walk away from Thanksgiving, having done that, feeling more grateful. Well, you know, we're throwing around the term patriotic a lot these days. That's sort of a little bit of um, being patriotic right there, isn't it? Just talking to somebody across from the table at Thanksgiving. That's exactly right. Thank you so much. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. Today is, and this will be my last question, today is Veterans Day. If you had a message or would like to say something to your fellow veterans, what would that be? And thank you for your service, by the way. Well, thank you so much. What I would like to say to all veterans is this is your opportunity to tell your story your way. And if you don't tell your story, it may be forgotten. And and well, while you don't think you had a story because you thought you were part of a team, you weren't mm. I, you played a part at a historical event in history, whether you realize it or not. So when someone approaches you and asks you about your service, you're not bragging. You're talking about history when you share with them what you did and what you gave back to your country. So please, veterans, think about sharing your story so others will appreciate what you did to serve your country. I would like to thank my guests for joining me today on The Human Condition with Lisa Gregory. And thank you, the listener, for joining us today. If you would like to know more about the show, please visit my website at thehumancondition.podcast.com.